Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, we go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the hardcover adventure Rime of the Frostmaven. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. You too can become a patron of Sly Flourish and help support shows like this by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. Yeah, we had a big, a great big deal in our, in our last game. Another way you can support me however is by going to the if you are watching the show during the month of october uh, i am running the kickstarter for the lazy dms companion this is a book the third of the return of the lazy dungeon master series in which you can get guidelines and inspiration to help you run 5e games so i hope you'll check it out there's a 17 page pre free preview with material you can use in your game right now it's available on kickstarter if it's if you're watching this later and the kickstarter is done you can either pre-order the book or order the book so there's still ways to get all of the stuff that you want to get yeah, so last week was a big week. Last week was the Shardalon dragon. So if you recall, the characters had gone from... Uh, let's let's set up some uh, page of notes. Once again, I'm doing all my prep in Notion. Uh, I use Notion to do my prep. You can find a link in the show notes to download a Notion template that I use for all my campaign planning. I've now been using it for more than a year and I love it. It really helps me package campaigns together. I've done now numerous campaigns doing this and I love, I love notion uh, a lot. So it's really great. So yeah, in the last session, they had returned from Grimskull from Solstice Island and Grimskull with the Codicil of the White in hand. They now have the Codicil of the White in hand. They, as soon as they got back, they kind of were making their way back to Ten Towns and saw that Ten Towns was on fire. In the previous show I just did, somebody was asking about it, like, how do you, since, since the lazy DM method keeps you so flexible that you can always move the game whatever direction the characters move, doesn't that make, for, for his character, for their characters, they were having trouble keeping up the tension. Well, the key is things are happening off screen. And in this case, the players chose to go to Solstice rather than investigating what was going on with the dwarves. So they, so the dwarves moved forward and, and Zardarok Sunblight sent his Shardalon dragon against 10 towns. Now this isn't in the book. In the book, the Shardalon dragon doesn't leave uh, Sunblight Fortress until the characters show up at Sunblight Fortress, which means... If the characters never go there, there won't be a dragon attack. I think that's kind of lame. If you're going to do the dragon stuff, and by the way, you could probably remove the whole Duergar dragon stuff. If you wanted to condense this adventure down a little bit, you could remove everything with the Duergar and everything with the Shardalon dragon completely, and the whole rest of the adventure would still work. But if you want to have this sort of perpendicular element coming in, and I ran it, and I was, I was pretty happy with how it played out. But in my case, they, I said to myself, ah, they did not, the characters did not, you know, two or three times they had the opportunity to go investigate Sunblight Fortress. They chose not to. They said, the night thing is more important. We're going to go do that. And we don't really know about this weapon. We don't really care. Then they come back and the weapon is there and it's already destroyed like three villages and it's making its way through 10 towns. So I had Valen Harple show up with her uh, dire wolf driven, undead dire wolf driven sleds. She got the characters to 10 towns and they fought the Shardalon dragon in uh, Cardinaval. I had it in Cardinaval because the the I wanted to have the fortress or the keep of the black swords, which was which I'm renaming the care. You know, there's like a castle, an unnamed castle in Cardinaval. I, I I wanted to make that the the citadel of the black swords because at least one of the characters had a deep tie to the black swords. Her father, so Ilda, the half Goliath. Her father, her her kind of stepfather right was one of the members of the black swords and she 
knew that he wasn't her real father. And also Auken found out that this guy murdered his father, who was also Ilda's father. So her stepfather actually murdered her real father. And they found this out. So I wanted to have like some fun stuff happen in Cardinaval. So I had the dragon attack occur in Cardinaval. They faced the Chardalon dragon. And with my modifications, it beat the crap out of them. It was really hard. Uh, I think at one point they only had four characters. And I think at one point, th- one of them was stunned and two of them were down. And the third was barely hanging on. And they managed to get out of the stun and they managed to get the down people back up and they defeated the dragon, but it was really hard. Turned the dials a little bit in the sense that the number of legendary attacks I gave it, I changed up in the middle of the fight. So I was like four characters, they're just getting destroyed with these legendary attacks. And it's because like I just added legendary attacks and I gave it a claw attack and it was just, the claws were awful. And one guy was pinned underneath he was prone and underneath, which meant it was getting advantage on its attacks against him. And it crit on him like twice for like 40 damage. It was just awful at seventh level, right? So it was really, really, really hard fight. But they're going to remember it, right? Nobody was, nobody was bitter about it. And they're going to remember that fight. So then they defeated the Shardalon dragon. And villagers are starting to come out and figure what's going on. And here comes Amen. Uh, uh, Amen, right? Who's Ilda's stepfather. Yeah, Amen Melisiant, right? Ilda's Ilda's step he came out and he is smiling at her and he's holding his arms out to her to to like embrace like come come and embrace like I knew you could do it you are everything we thought you were you're clearly the right one you're you're the one you're clearly the right one and this is right at the end of the session right and I'm like what do you do and Auken is like I hit him in the back with my battle axe and so I'm like, you know, Ilda's standing there and wham, and, and Auken hits him in the back with a battle axe. He goes, oh, right, oh, Ilda, oh. And then she's like, I hit him in the face with my battle axe. And she's like, oh. So the two, the brother and sister, one a barbarian, one a fighter, both Goliaths, basically like scissored him front and back with a pair of battle axes, like in the most brutal way. And he dies, right? And so there's this whole like thought of like, oh, what if Eamon is like a mage, right? Like what stat block should we give Eamon? Should we make him like a really power? It's like, how about if he's a noble, right? How about if he's a six hit point noble and he's never done anything because he's a scumbag, right? And so, you know, they kill him in one shot, right? He's not a boss. He's not a boss fight. You know, he's just a dupe, right? And so that was a powerful ending, right? Of like this villain that they've seen, right? She's been angry at him since day one of this campaign. And, you know, right there, the Shardalon dragon is still steaming and destroyed at the end of the block and all these people are coming out. And by the way, a whole bunch of the Knights of the Black Sword came out of the Citadel to to greet them, right? And under Eamon's guidance. And now Eamon is cut in half and all the other ones are standing there. And so my thought is like, well, what? is going to happen next, right? I would like, I wish I had done this at the beginning, but I'll do it right now. We're only seven minutes in. So what are some big lessons that I've learned from running some of these most recent chapters, particularly the Sunblight chapters? There are two, there are, there are two chapters dealing with the Sunblights. And those chapters are chapter three, Sunblight, which I'm never, I'm not actually going to run for this game. And chapter four, Destruction's Light. Well, having run Sunblight, the, the number one tip I would offer is to let that whole part of the campaign happen organically. In other words, the dwarves are building their weapon. If the characters get involved or not, that's up to them. If they don't actually involve themselves and you still want to run this section, you can have the Shardalon dragon attack uh, while they're out. And then when they come back, the city is under attack. That I think is a really cool way to do it. This idea of like, wow, we did this other thing. We come back and now the city's under attack. It shows that the world is moving and dynamic. It's really cool. I think it's better than the triggered idea that or the triggering idea that the characters go to Sunblight and that triggers the dragon to then fly 
away. The, the way it's written is that the characters show up at Sunblight, and as soon as they get there, they see the dragonfly overhead, and now they got to turn right around and go take care of it. I thought that was a pretty lame way to do it. And, and, and talking to Sam Dillon about it, who ran it for his group, he also felt like, what if the players decide that they're going to go into the fortress anyway? Will that mean all of Ten Towns is destroyed because they made the wrong choice? I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea that like your only goal is make your way all the way to Sun Sun Sunblight Fortress and then see it go. And the only good choice is go all the way back again. Like that just feels lame. So the way I ran it for my Wednesday game is they actually did make their way into Sunblight. They didn't go in through the front door because the front door is a really stupid way to go in. And instead they went through the Underdark. So I had to add a whole Underdark piece where they then go in through the basement of Sunblight Fortress rather than the front door. Because if you look at the front door, the front door is like this huge armored door with a switchback path that a Durgar with a snowball could defend. And it works way better if you instead have uh, them go through the Underdark. Any any reasonable characters are not going to want to go up to the front door. In the adventure, it's like, well, Grandolfa's already uh, turned over the the dwarf that's guarding, so he would let them in. But how would they know that, right? How would the dwarf, how would the characters know that? So that's really dumb. Instead, they go in through. And then what I had happen is Zardarok, when he finds out he's under attack, he already knows that he's probably going to die. So once they're already partway through the fortress, once word has gotten to him that we're under attack and I might have been betrayed because he's always thinking he's being betrayed. Once he thinks he's at the end, he then launches the dragon. So by the time they get to Zardarok, he says, you're screwed. Dragon's already gone. You're going to kill me and it doesn't matter because the dragon's on its way. Right. And then they go. And then I like the idea of Valen coming in with the undead, uh, undead wolves and, and getting them there. But there's all this stuff about timing and, and distance and which towns they attack. Don't worry about what the book says. Do what is interesting. Do what feels right. How fast do they go? As fast as they need to. Can they catch up with the dragon? Probably not. But it won't destroy all of 10 towns before they arrive because the timing isn't right right instead use the drama of this situation use the you have the ability to kind of move that dragon where you think it's most appropriate i thought it was really cool to have in caradineval so i put in caradineval i don't care about how much time it took right because the idea is that making the dragon didn't take any time right they they just say like the dragon will launch when the characters show up so there was no timing before then so why is there timing afterwards so my big recommendation is to have you know, use it as an interesting way to put pressure on the characters that there's things happening in the world that aren't that they might not be involved in but instead have it launch after they've already gotten through much of sunblight i really liked running sunblight fortress i thought the drama between grandolfa and zardarok was really interesting there's lots of npc interaction that you could do there it was really cool but i would probably launch the dragon when they're already well into sunblight so that they will finish sunblight out before they have to go back and take care of the dragon uh, for the dragon fight itself it did make it significantly harder uh, to make to give the dragon legendary actions. I'm not I'm not upset that I did it. I'm glad I did it, but it was still pretty hard. And you can scale that dragon up as you need. I don't. It bothers me that you have this town destroying dragon that level seven characters can defeat. It feels like it should be bigger than that. But I didn't have I didn't want to redo the whole thing so that it's a great big dragon. But then there's ways that you can sort of weaken it. I, it, it was kind of hard to do in this one. I did something like that in my Wednesday game, and it was okay. Which is there was a small dragon. If you destroy the small dragon, it does a bunch of damage to the big dragon. I actually did do that in this one too. That Zardarok has a small version of the Shardalon dragon that he uses to control it, and if that is destroyed, it can do some amount of damage to the main monster. However much half its total hit points i think this is what i did in ours it was a way for them to destroy the dragon when they had like 100 points left and they were gonna get killed drink so the other thing is once the dragon goes to 10 i wanted that whole plot line done so i had zardarok come with it all right i had like all of the important characters i didn't have the grand alpha drama so the characters will never know about that in this game but i had zardarok 
show up with his remaining son and they attacked. And that way, all of that was taken care of in one go. And now we can go straight to Caves of Hunger. We don't have to do that. There's not really a lot of interest in going back to Sunblight to deal with the dwarves after they've already sent this. Maybe if you want to do it, you could. I was kind of, I'm like, I'm ready to move things forward. So I just had Zardarak is already dead. If they go to Sunblight, they'll be greeted there by the dwarves. They'll meet Grandolfo, who says, I've taken over. All the guards are on my side now, and we don't have any problem with we don't have any problem with Ten Towns. So you stay on your side, we'll stay on our side, and everybody will be happy. If they decided to do it. I don't think they're gonna bother. So now we're moving on to the Caves of Hunger. We're getting to chapter six and chapter seven, which is sort of the finale of the game. And I think it's important because I think in today's session is gonna be the last time that the characters spend a significant amount of time in Icewind in, in Ten Towns. So we will start off today by generating a new session planning template. We will, today is the 17th, is that right? Yeah. All right, we have our eight steps, our notes and the eight steps. Hey, my mom is here. Hi, mom. We're gonna review the characters. I put them in the wrong thing. We want the Sunday gala. So for our characters, we have Ilda. Uh, Ilda is a half Goliath. She just cut down her own, her stepfather in the middle of the street. We have uh, Shadowhawk. Shadowhawk is being hunted by the Knight's Kiss. I think it's time for the Knight's Kiss. I think I think we're gonna have to. I think we're gonna have to do some stuff with the Knight's Kiss today. I know I've been holding I've been holding off on this and holding back. And I think it's time. The, uh, Shadowhawk is a half mind flayer who's keep getting more and more mind flayer as it goes. Who is being hunted by the Drow of Houses of Laren to return him so that they can dissect him and figure out why he's so. Interesting. We have Auken Dawncaller. Auken, who's the half-brother of Ilda, also avenged his father's death by killing Ilda's stepfather, who is a real... Gorwan Alcazar is a uh, secret noble of the uh, Greycastle family. This just came out in the last couple of sessions. And he is in it for the money. Perrin Fat Rabbit is a conspiracy theorist. He is a halfling ranger. His brother became a mind flayer. He's got mind flayer circuitry in his arms, but he's not controlled by them. He doesn't have a symbiote in his head like Shadowhawk does. And then finally we come to Candle in the Dark. Candle, boy, Candle's had some big drama and I think Candle's gonna have some big drama. Uh, Candle is a tabaxi rogue who used to work for the Xanathar back in Waterdeep. And just recently during his trials in Grimskull, saw the image, made the choice of having the Xanathar murder his parents in a vision. And now his parents are still alive, but he's got to face them again, knowing what he was willing to do and what's that going to do to him. So his character took a real happy-go-lucky shift and now uh, has gone onto a real dark, in, in a real dark place. So fun, interesting stuff. There's a lot you can do. I, this is something I was talking about with uh, Sam and Jeff in a recent behind the DM screen. There's a lot of stuff you can do with the characters that doesn't have to involve mechanics, right? That like the trials. So I ran the trials of Grimskull, right? And a, a couple sessions back and it worked really, really well. And none of it had anything to do with mechanics. There was no boon. There was no bane. There was no exhaustion. There was no other mechanical effects that... You don't have to do a lot of mechanics to have a big effect on the characters, right? That, that you know, you, you can use the mechanics to help support the story, but in many cases, the story can roll on its own without having to do mechanics. So don't, don't feel like if the characters have a bad dream, you have to make them suffer exhaustion, right? Like they can just have a bad dream and the players will still have the effect of that dream. So not everything needs to be a mechanic is, is one lesson that I will, I will talk about. So where's the game going to start? Well, we are, so I think the, the big start, I, I have an idea. I was thinking about this last night and I think I want to start with a flashback, a quick flashback, right? 
And the, the flashback will be the members of the Citadel. The, 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 the Knights of the Black Sword are in the Citadel of Care Deneval. The doors open. Behind the doors is an eclipsed sun. Eamon, Melissiant, walks in. Uh, walks in with Ilda in his arms as a baby. Her eyes are swimming with black ink. There is a strange symbol drawn on her forehead. He walks forward to the other Knights of the Black Sword and holds her out and says, we have done it. We have, we have created, you know, we have created the avatar. We have created the avatar. We've created the child of Thrun, right? And it's Ilda. Then that's the flashback. Then we flash forward. Oh, and then all of the, all of the knights, what do they do? They, they cut their hands. They draw the same symbol on their head, draw the same symbol, and then lay prone in front of Eamon, right? We jump forward 20 years, right? Or whatever number of years, 18 years or so. We jump forward 18 years. 18 years later, Eamon is, you know, hewn, hewn in half, is hewn on the ground. The Knights of the Black Sword, they all cut their hands, draw the symbol on their forehead, and lay prone, right? Because they believe she's the one. They think that she's the, they think that the, she's the child of Thrun, right? She's the child of Thrun. She's the key, right? I think that that's a cool, strong start. Rather than like, they all want to avenge the death of, they all want to avenge the, I don't think they cared about Eamon, right? They were, they're all kind of willing to throw themselves at her feet. And then like, will the party kill them? Cause they're a bunch of evil bastards. I don't know, but they won't get up. Right. I think they'll, they might do one and then realize like, they're just going to lie here while we murder them. Yeah. I don't think we're going to do that. So they might want to find out more information. Right. So a secret, which I think they already know is that father Latmac worked with Amen to, to what? To baptize. I think baptism is a purely Christian idea, but I wrapped it in quotes. Ilda. In reality, let's see. I think Eamon first believed that Ilda was an immaculate, an immaculate conception, but later found out that his wife, what's her name? Oh, wrong one run. Eamon and whose mom, Lena, that Lena fell in love with, with Auken's father. Melissa fell in love with Auken Donkaller's father and Ilda is his child. Eamon murdered Auken's father to hide this fact. So the Knights of the Black Sword would still believe that Ilda is a child of Thrun. So he kind of hid that fact and murdered somebody to do it. So that's kind of cool. Which, so in my, in my little iteration here, if you're watching this and you're like, what the hell, who the hell is Thrun? Thrun is an elder evil that's whose, whose embodiment is encased in a sarcophagus in the bottom of Yethrin and was originally brought. So, so Thrun was drawn from the far realm into the world by stupid elves 
And the elves realized that they had drawn this, this incredibly powerful uh, immortal entity into the world and really wish they hadn't done it, but they couldn't get rid of it. So they instead they sealed it up in a sarcophagus and guarded the sarcophagus. And the elves who guarded the sarcophagus were known as the Knights of the Black Sword. However, the, the Netherese showed up thousands of years later they told the knights, hey, we're taking Thrun because we want to use the immense power that's coming off of that sarcophagus. We're going to use that power to, to power our magic. So we're taking it. You have a choice. You can join us, which is the smart choice, according to Netherese. You can abandon your post and, and, and just give up, your, give up your, your swords. Or you can fight us and we'll kill you. And about one third of each of the knights of the Black Sword did that. And I think that... So which one of those three, obviously the dead ones are dead. So there's only two. There's those who abandoned their post and there's those who stayed with the Netherese. And I think that the, I think the Knights of the Black Sword here in 10 Towns took on the name, but, but are not part of the original Knights. Instead, they served, they found some books about Thrun and they received prophecies from Father Limac. Father Limac is a uh, is one of the original Knights of the Black Sword that stayed with the Nether. Father Limac learned magic, powerful magic from the Nether while serving as the lead protector, the lead guard of Thrun's sarcophagus centuries of study of, of centuries guarding the the sarcophagus led to his corruption by Thrun thus becoming Thrun's caller those are some good secrets what other so what other secrets do we have going on I, I guess that's what six good secrets we got four secrets remaining I'm kind of chair is sliding back we have four secrets remaining. So what scenes are going to take place? So we have the, the, the supplication of the knights, right? Supplication of the knights of the black sword. Who else? So we've got a bunch of, we want, we, we want to look at NPCs that are going to work with the characters. So I think Helen, Helen is going to show up, right? Helen is going to show up. Uh, Candle and his parents is something we definitely want to do. Are there other bits of interesting downtime? So let's look at each character and say, what kind of downtime activity do they need to have in Icewind Dale? So Ilda definitely needs to meet his, her mom, right? So Lena's going to show up. I think that could be really interesting. What else? We definitely want to have, I think it's time to have the, I think it's time to have the, the Knight's Kiss show up. I think that's going to be our big fight for the day. The, not the, yeah, Knight's. The Knight's Kiss make their move. That's going to happen. We're really hitting this like, you know, closing in on the end of the campaign kind of. The, the campaign, I like to, I, I talk about the yam-shaped adventure, right? What is a yam-shaped a yam adventure? A yam-shaped adventure is narrow at the top, then widens out in the middle, then narrows back down at the end. It's actually a pretty effective structure for an adventure, if you ask me, if you're going to have a big campaign adventure. You know where it starts off, right? And and you Rhyme of the Frostman isn't written this way explicitly, but it can work this way as a yam-shaped adventure. And the yammy the yammy parts are you run Bryn Shander at the beginning, you run the first adventure there, which is the you know, the, the recover the re recover the um recover the ingots. I forget what it's called. 
Oh, God. First adventure that's in Bryn Shander. You run the adventure in Bryn Shander. That gets them from first to second level. Then it, it's, the problem with the yam-shaped adventure in Frostmaid is the way it goes now is it, it, it yam, and then it goes like way out right away because then it's like, and then there's 13 other adventures that you can do in any order, right? And then it gets... So you have to narrow down how many adventures you're going to run in that beginning. Foaming Mugs, thank you. The Foaming Mugs adventure in Bryn Shander. So you run Foaming Mugs. Then you probably want to have about four or five quests that you like and throw the other ones out. And you run those four or five quests in, in, in 10 towns. And that's chapter one. And then you expand out to the larger Icewind Dale. And you have these other bigger things. That's kind of the middle part of the yam. That includes going to Grimskull, going to you know Sunblight. Sunblight and Grimskull are sort of the big pieces of that. And then it narrows back down again. And when it narrows back down, it kind of goes to wherever your conclusion is going to take place. That conclusion could be Solstice and Grimskull. That could be the end of your adventure. Or if they decide to go the other way, the end of your adventure is Yethrin and uh, Caves of Hunger and Yethrin. And that's what's happening in mine. It's, they're, they're heading down to Caves of Hunger and Yethrin. Both of my campaigns are going the same way. And I think that works effectively. But we're, we're hitting the end we're hitting the end of that of that section. So uh, does Auken have anything going on in town? I'm not sure. His downtime could be returning home. So that could be an option of Auken returns home. I don't really know what will happen from that. Gorwan Alcazar? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I could be kind of a dick and have like Torga's, like a, a friend or a relative of Torga. It would be kind of interesting if one of the former members of the Torg's mercantile came to him and says you know torga she died she died in revel's end she froze to death in revel's end she never you know and and but she wanted you to know that she forgives you for what you did to her and he'd be like what did i do i think that might be that'd be like harsh and might be kind of interesting torga post humus humanistly humanistly i don't know if that's the right word there it is hey look forgives uh, gore that might be it's kind of it's a little harsh but it might be kind of interesting i don't know who else perrin so i don't want to remove perrin from the equation but i think perrin might see his brother or like a, an astral projection of his brother right i don't think that will mean perrin leaves i i you know we'll see but i think it'll put you know perrin's brother back in play lots of opportunity for downtime and then Candle. Candle, I think I already wrote Candle meets his parents, right? Yeah. So each of the characters has sort of a down, a potential downtime scene uh, that we're going to run in this place. And then the journey to the journey to the Caves of Hunger. And I think they're going to face Oral's second form. No, first form. I think it's time for them to face Oral's first form at an interesting location. And then the Caves of Hunger. And then Yethrin. And then Finn, right? So that's, you know, there's there's my outline of the whole rest of the campaign, right? It's I think we've still got a couple months to go, right? Like it's going to be, you know, maybe we'll finish this year, right? But we'll see. A lot, lot to do. And that's because the Caves of Hunger and Yethrin are both really big. So we're not going to worry too much about what's going on in Caves of Hunger or Yethrin or how the conclusion is going to come out. But we are worried about some of this other stuff. So are there any other secrets and clues that tie to this? Yeah, one of them is that Torga died in Revel's End. She never admitted working with Thrun cultists. She did forgive Gore. What's happening? The It Ascendant. Wow. is nearly ready. The elder brain is nearly online. 
the gith yankee are coming that's all tied to the ascendant plot line so we get two more all right just place markers how do you balance party agency versus giving them enough guidance in the yam situation so in this one it's pretty easy because they can actually choose what their final conclusion is going to be are they going to go to the caves of hunger or are they going to go to solstice and the beginning part the reason why yam shaped adventure is good is because it does give a lot of options to characters it essentially says that in the whole middle part of the adventure the players can choose how they want to do it. What, what path do they want to take? Where do they want to go? What do they want to do? The, 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 the bloated part of the middle yam is the part where they have all of that choice and agency. So you're really only narrowing things down early on in the beginning where you're basically saying there's one adventure that's just getting you used to the setting and used to the world and gets you from first to second level. And, and you know, it's fun. And no, I've not met players who have not enjoyed that. They, they, you know, just being given an adventure or even starting in the middle of an adventure, which is what I did for uh, Tomb of Annihilation, that I think can work really well. Like what, like they're already in the dungeon trying to find the evil priest who knows about why the dead are not coming back to life with resurrection. You know, it was an interesting way to, to kind of a, a smash cut. And then the ending is the ending, right? You kind of know that all things are going to head towards this particular ending. But in, in Frostmaiden case, they actually have two potential endings and they could aim in either way. And then, of course, there's lots of agency in how they complete it, right? Like, I knew where things were going to end up in my Eberron game, but I also knew there was a lot of opportunity for choice. You know, do they... What do they do about, you know, their main villain who kind of turned and realized he made a big mistake at the end? Do they kill him? Do they put him in jail? Do they let him go? You know, lots of options. So I think that you can still put a lot of character agency, a lot of player agency, even if you have these big chapter beats, right? It's a little harder when like chapters one through seven are all assuming one path, right? That's more of a Pathfinder adventure path style where like each one leads to the next one. Like the irony is, I, I you know, I talked about this before that the flow chart in the flowchart in Rhyme of the Frost is completely useless because not only is it just the chapter listings, right? First, second, third, fourth, sixth, sixth, seventh. They also don't actually play that way, right? They're all over the place. So that's not how the it's not how the chapters work. Instead, you want branching paths and branching forks and some blight stuff can happen somewhere in the middle and they can choose either one of these other two. There's actually, you know, the, the flowchart works totally differently. So yeah. Fantastic locations. I only need one. I need the location where they face the first form of oral. Charred glyph podium of the netherese. Eh, obsidian charred rock of the netherese. That's kind of interesting. Pristine poisonous geode of oral. That's kind of interesting, right? Maybe a huge version of the crystal that they destroyed is there. And it's not poisonous. It's frozen, right? But it's being protected by, by the first form. That is that is pretty neat. I like that. Would it? It might be better. Uh, let's. So I, I made a mistake that I picked the. I picked the wrong form for the situation. Let's take a look at the second form and see what she can do. She rejuvenates. She has legendary resistance. She has magic resistance. Unusual trait. Doesn't need to drink water. She attacks twice with her morning star or hurls three ice darts. Ice darts are plus seven. They do eight, damn, a god. So let me get this straight. You have a god who's walking around and she throws ice darts that do eight points of damage. That sounds like a god. That sounds really powerful. Wow. Wow. Good job with the god. How about 28 points of damage? So that's ridiculous. Twice with her ice morning or hurls three ice darts, right? She can do Kona Cold. Okay, that's not nothing, right? She can create ice methods. That's fine. 
Ice stasis. Magicka creates a gem-sized ice crystal that hovers in place five feet in front of her. Within 60 feet in target. So she can trap someone in the crystal. Crystal, that's cool. Crystal is also freed if the crystal is destroyed. All right, so I like ice stasis a lot. Legendary action. Being a god is all about knowing when to hold back on ice dart damage. She can make a weapon attack. Ice flurry. Each creature in 30 feet takes, hey, look, five points of damage. Splinter creates ice method that causes one ice when she see with 60 to die. A method that dies this way does not use this death burst. Instead, each creature within 10 feet of the exploding method. That's not bad. That's kind of interesting. I think we're going to have the second form attack. She's already created the tomb and she's riding on Iskra. This is going to be a hard fight. She's going to have to fight the second form of oral and Iskra. I think that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. That's hard. Right? That's going to be a hard fight. Oh, let's make an encounter real quick. I got some time. We will go to collections, my encounters. We are going to create a new one. We are going to call this Arl plus Iskra. We have, we're going to manage the characters. In this case, I'm going to assume I have everybody, but I don't think I have everybody. I'm not sure. We'll find out. So I have six characters and we have Rock. Boom. And we have Oral second form oops that went from easy to deadly really fast how deadly adjusted is 131 let's see 131 experience that's crazy i guess you have a cr10 and a cr11 it gets really it gets really big but she only has ice starts so we're okay so we will save that encounter because i think i think that will work like seventh level characters this is something i wanted to talk more about seventh level characters i think have more tools at their disposal to really change the challenge of an encounter than they do otherwise. And an example is the rock. I don't think we have any characters who can do it, but fourth level spells, you have banish and you have polymorph. You have two save or suck spells that can work really well. A banish on a rock, you know, she has a charisma, I guess a plus three to charisma saving throws, right? But you can banish her and then she's, the rock is gone for the whole battle, right? If, if that if concentration isn't broken so we'll see we'll see how that goes if you have to face them it could be really hard and i think so damage wise ice starts are so dumb i'm going to do two of those instead of three and we're going to beef up the damage on that i don't know what we're going to oh, that's so lame. we'll add the cold damage on top so it does five piercing and nine cold that's better than three cold was this ridiculous it's still really weak for a god, but it's only one part of a god. Right? It's just one form of a god. All right. Grr. Monsters, rock, oral, oral's second form. And that means oral's first form is in the caves of hunger, right? Or around. They'll have to face the first form some other time. Then I also need the knight's kiss. And I know I looked at the knight's kiss last week. So let's, let's, save ourselves a little bit of time we'll go back to last week's campaigns whoops old session notes du, 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 du. sunday yeah so here's the knight's kiss so i'm just gonna steal this section save myself the trouble of pulling up a bunch of stat blocks and dropping the knight's kiss i don't know how i'm gonna format them or i don't know what what kind of battle that's going to be uh, I can make another encounter. So actually what I can do now, since this encounter exists, is I can link it. So I can have rock plus oral and link that encounter. And then, whoops. And then knight's kiss, we will do, do, do. 
Come on. What happened here? Collections, my encounters. Create new. Night's Kiss. And we have a drow. And we have, who did I like? The drow shadow blade is pretty cool. And drow elite warriors are good. What does the house captain look like? Why is this centered? That's not bad. Uh, 162 hit points. I might drop in a house captain. We'll see. I like some of these drow from Morning Canaan's. Uh, that looks like it. So we will save that encounter. I'm really just bent bookmarking the characters. I don't know how many of them I'll run. You know, probably maybe a couple of like, you know, I like to do a lot of, if you want to have a group seem like there's a lot of them, you throw a lot of regular drow, right? Not everybody has to be an ass kicker. But a couple of elite warrior, warrior. Oh, there was a mage. Isn't there a drow mage? The arachno. Yeah, drow mage, right? We'll add a drow mage. Whoops, I guess it doesn't count. So I guess I got to go back. There's a knight's kiss. And we will add a edit. And we will add a drow mage. There. Poop. Save. All right, we're good. Now we'll grab that. And we've got our knight's kiss encounter. Whoops. Good. Okay. When, when and where are the Knight's Kiss going to attack? Somewhere in Icewind Dale. I don't know. It's going to be during the downtime scenes. And I think they're going to try to grab up. And, and hopefully there will be a way to manipulate the situation so that the other characters can get there. And they can have this fight against the Knight's Kiss. And that he doesn't get he doesn't get sort of grabbed up. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to play that out. I'm playing it by ear. Secret. The Knight's Kiss wants to capture Shadowhawk in Icewind Dale and bring him back to Menzo, Menzo Branzen in 10 towns, right? Yeah, so that's that's all good. We're gonna have a lot of fun downtime. So we have Candle's parents and Candle's parents are Crescent Moon and Hot as Fire. Crescent Moon and Hot as Fire. We have Eamon who's dead. We have Lena, she'll be there. Oh, so let's, we're going to go way back. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. I'm going to probably try to dig it up before the game. Or maybe we'll just create a new NPC. Nobody will remember. So we have Radcliffe. Radcliffe from Torgs confronts, confronts Gore. What else? Yeah, there's so many potential NPCs that could show up for this one because of the beginning. Oh, we have Flynn. Yeah. We have the Goliath. We have the... I'm going to have to go look all this up. And I'm not going to bother doing it right now. We have Perrin's brother. Who else? I think that's good for NPCs. Treasure. You can always drop in a relic. Is anybody weak on treasure? I don't think anybody is. They got a lot of treasure. So I don't think they need a permanent magic item. So we'll drop a relic in. I always can't go wrong with relics. Ruined Crystal of Mask that has Modify Memory. Hmm. That's interesting. Poison spray, bark skin, hold monster, burned cup of Joaquin, uh, cracked gemstone, and talus that cast true polymorph. Ooh, that's probably too much. Decorated urn of the illithids that cast prayer of healing. Cracked sphere of the tribe of the bear that cast wall of fire. Hmm. Ruined goblet of the illithids that cast planar binding. That's weird. None of that was probably perfect. Blade ward, staggering smite, banishing smite. Glyphed dagger of helm. I think we'll change this. And a crystalline dagger of oral that casts banishing smite i think that's pretty cool 
Maybe it's a crystalline plus one dagger. Maybe it's an actual dagger, but it can only cast the... Nah, I think we'll just make it a regular dagger. It can cast Banishing Smite once. And that makes sense, right? Because she has that crystalline thing she could trap someone in. So a shard of that, you could hit and trap trap somebody on a hit. DC 15. So make it a good DC. But you have to do it on a hit. You have to hit them with the dagger. I think that'd be pretty cool. So any final secrets? Any one last, what's one last secret that I can drop on them? Something about the Caves of Hunger or Yethrin? How about Father Lymec has been seen near the Caves of Hunger? Some believe he isn't even real. So in reality, Father Lymec is a lich. Uh, I'm going to replace the Demi-Lich that exists. He could be a Demi-Lich, but maybe he's like astrally projecting himself, right? So maybe he's a Demi-Lich. I can't decide if he's a Lich or Demi-Lich yet. I don't know. But I think I'm going to replace the Lich that's inside uh, with uh, Father Lymec. I think that will be more interesting. And I think it'll be a Lich or Demi-Lich. Let me look at Demi-Lich. How many times do you get a chance to run a Demi-Lich? All right, CR 18. Set 80 hit points is a real, real problem. It is... Resistant to all attacks, all melee attacks, apparently, and immune to non-magical attacks. So that's important to know. If it's subjected to an effect that allows it to make a saving throw to take only half damage, it takes no damage, okay, as legendary resistance. It flies, right? Yeah, so it's hard to reach. It's got the Howl, DC 15 constitution saving throw, or drop to zero. The Howl is really good. Life drain targets up to three creatures it can see. Each target must succeed in DC 19 save or take 21 necrotic. And the Demolish regains its health back. It can fly at speed. Uh, swirls in a cloud of dust or be blinded. It can blind with a cloud of dust. Demoliches are another one that's hard to run. And they're, they're mostly hard to run because of this 80 hit points. It's really easy to forget that like... So, But I think, I think that might be a fun... I think rather than a full Lich, I'm going to run the Demolich version. And that, that Father Limek is a Demolich. Kalakaverse says, how do your players discover these secrets? Lots of ways. How do you translate these into encounters? I don't, trans I don't translate secrets into encounters, but encounters can reveal secrets. Secrets can be revealed many different ways. They can learn it from NPCs. They can read about it in old books. Basically, you keep secrets abstract from their location of discovery and you improvise their, you improvise their discovery. So you always have your secrets in mind. And then when the characters are doing interesting things, they may learn secrets. Sometimes they just remember stuff. Sometimes they have dreams or portents. Yeah, secrets are treasure is a really good way of thinking about it. That they, they, secrets are the treasure of exploration. So they could learn it from talking to somebody. They could learn it from, they could pick up a weapon and find it on a weapon. They, something could trigger an old memory. They could roll, you know, they could, they could remember some old history. Lot, and there's so many different ways. I have many articles. If you go to Sly Flourish, and type in secrets. There are many articles. Uh, I think I've got one specifically uh, about discovering secrets. Types of secrets? Yes. So here's a good article about the types of secrets, which often is about like how they can learn them. Right? They are the treasure. They're really the treasure of all the pillars because you can learn it in combat too. But yeah, revealing secrets. Here's a good you know, yeah, perfect, right? Here's all, here's 20 different ways you can, that you can reveal secrets. But the key is you keep them ready. This is, this is this whole idea that all of the eight steps are actually little bowls of food and you're going to cook a meal, but you're cooking at the table. So you have all your bowls of food laid out and you have a hot plate, which is the game table. And then as the game is playing, you're cooking, you're cooking the meal in front of them. So that's, that's kind of how this style works. And, and, and I would say it works well, it works well for me, certainly. And it works well for a lot of people that have that have talked to me about it. So yeah, 
doesn't mean it's the only way. There's lots of ways to run D&D games, but it is certainly a way that, that I, I dig and fits a lot of how D&D works. We're all set. So I want to thank everybody for coming today. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, I feel good. I feel good about my game. I'm excited. A lot of moving parts in today's game, but it really could be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. So yeah. So thank you all for coming today. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, next week we will see how all of this goes. We'll see how the game goes. If you want to help me out, there's four things you can do. One, you can subscribe to this Life Flourish newsletter. Two, you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube. Three, you can support me directly on Patreon. Or four, you can pick up any of my books, including subscribing or joining the Kickstarter for my most recent book, The Lazy DM's Companion. Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week and get out there and play some D&D.